This podcast is a presentation of Indianola First Assembly of God Church. For more information, please visit us online at indianolafirst.com. Well, I hope you guys all had a good Christmas, and uh, I hope that you got the stuff that you wanted or maybe the stuff you didn't want. I don't know. You can take stuff back this week. That's the great part about Christmas gifts, right? Um, This morning, I wanted to ask you a question. Well, first of all, I wanted to, to try to let you know that there's a certain demographic of people in this room this morning that have struggled over the years. They have had to live through hardships that the younger generations will never know. I'm talking about anybody who had to live in the non-digital camera age, okay? If that's you this morning, you know the struggle, right? It's, it's that struggle of you come home from a trip or you come home from something and you've taken all these pictures and you're excited to see them because, we, we, you know, when you're clicking the camera, there's no way to preview. You don't know what you just took, you know? Um, so you take these pictures and you're excited about them and you go to Walmart or you go to Walgreens and you drop your roll of 35 millimeter film into an envelope and you put your name on it and you give it to the clerk. And then it used to be like a week, right, that you had to wait. So you wait a week in anticipation and then it became like three days and then it became like next day and then it was like an hour and that was like, you know, the promised land. It was an hour, you know, you just could go get lunch and come back and get your photos. But then you go there, you get your photos And uh, the guy hands you the envelope, and if you had self-control, you'd wait till you got to the car, and you'd open up your envelope, and then you'd flip through the pictures really quick, right? If you didn't have self-control, and usually what you'd see is like a whole line of girls at the photo thing, and they had their photos slipped out, and they're they're looking at their photos, right, when they get there. But the worst part of that is you get your photos, you open up your photos, you're so excited to see your four-by-six glossy memories only to see this out-of-focus pictures, or you see this, me out-of-focus, or, you know, you have, overexpo- you have an underexposed photo and it's dark, and I don't know what that is, or you, I don't even know what this is, even. It's my sister-in-law's face, or it was, but something, I don't know, something in the process, the chemicals or something, or you get a double exposure. Have you guys ever had a double exposure? Like those guy, that guy clapping up in the corner, he's not standing on the window clapping. That's actually a different picture that was laid over that one. And so you have that. Or you have like, you have like this little color mark down below. You ever have that? One time I had an entire Disney trip. I went on a, a Disney trip with my aunt. And um, I brought my camera with. I got a brand new camera. And I took it with. And I had a whole roll of film. Actually, it was a disc. I don't know if you ever remember disc cameras. I had a whole disc of camera of, of pictures that I had taken. But I put them through the x-ray machine at the airport. You're not supposed to do that, evidently. And the entire thing was ruined because it had stripes like that all over all the pictures. Or the next one, it's out of focus. Okay, that's probably a nice picture of me. Well, at least a nice picture of Devin. I mean, I got orange shorts that are, I, I don't know what I had going on there. It was, the, it was not the 90s, but the early 2000s. So... But anyway, you know, you get those photos and they just don't look right. And and sometimes, you know, they're out of focus or sometimes they have, they're overexposed. And the hard part was when you were taking the photos, you just, you didn't really know, right? I mean, we didn't have digital cameras. We couldn't just take a bunch of test shots and try to narrow in on what we wanted it to look like. We just had to like, you know, you had to just hope the settings were right and, uh, you know, hope your focus was right. And sometimes to check your focus, you would have to like, and the only thing you could do to check your photos, focus was look through the viewfinder, which is like this 
fingernail-sized little, you know, viewfinder window. And if you had glasses, I mean, forget it, you know? So what, the best you could hope for is you just kind of you, you just kind of put people in the places you think they look the best, and you snap the button, and you just, you know, you, you pray that the stars align and your pictures turn out, right? The younger generation, they'll never know the struggle that we had. But that's what it is. One of the most frustrating for me is when you have an out-of-focus picture, because sometimes you get those pictures, and the light's right, and the, the background's right, and everything else is right, but it's out of focus. Focus is a powerful tool for a photographer. And I'm going to talk a lot about focus and photography today, so I hope you're, you're interested in learning about photography because I'm going to take you to school a little bit this morning. Um, photography, our focus for photographers is it's powerful. It's like a superpower they have because they get to bring out the most important part of the picture. The thing they want you to look at is brought out through focus. A photographer has the ability through focus to make you see what they want you to see. There may be other things in the picture, but they bring out what they think is the most important in the shot, right? Every one of us has a power of focus, and like a photographer, we have the ability to bring out in our lives what we want in every situation. Does that make sense? Even though we walk through the same situations, we get the ability to bring out what we want. We get the ability to focus in on the things that we want brought out. Now, you've probably heard the phrase, your focus determines your reality, right? And there, there's definitely truth to that. But I think as a Christian, we're going to take it a step further this morning and talk about the fact that our focus determines our faith. And I want to take you as an example to uh, the book of Numbers, chapter 13, verses 27 through 31. And so you can go ahead and turn there, Numbers 13, 27 through 31. And as you're turning there, and as you're looking that up on your phones, um, I want to give you a little bit of history about what's going on here. What's going on in the story is that we have this group of people called the Israelis, okay, the Jewish nation. They've been in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. They have been delivered just recently, within the last couple of weeks, by God, out of Egyptian slavery through a series of miracles and what we know as the 10 plagues, um, the last, you know, and then they, God parted the Red Sea. So through a series of miracles, he delivered them into this land that he had been promising them for almost five or 600 years through their grandfathers and great-grandfathers and the patriarchs is who we call them. God had promised them this, this particular land uh, to have for their own, for their own possession, and he said it was a good land and it was a land that was prosperous and that they would enjoy it. So we are, here's where we pick up the story. They're at the precipice of the promised land. They're in the desert, in the wilderness, and they're se- they decided to send 12 spies to go into the promised land where God had given them to spy it out, to see, was it good, to see if they could find like a strategy and a way in there, you know? That was what they were supposed to do. So they took 40 days, and they went throughout the land, and they got some of the produce from the land, and they spied out the land. And then in Numbers chapter 13, where we're going to pick up the story, this is where they've come back and they're now giving their report, their intel to the community of Israel. And here's what they say in Numbers 13, starting at verse 27. And they told him, we came to the land which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey. That means it's a good place. And this is, and this is its fruit. So they picked some fruit from the land, some grapes. And they were evidently really good, big grapes, um, very tasty Uh, Verse 28, however, the people that dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And beside, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Now, I don't know if you know this, so I'm going to pause again, but Anak was a giant. And later on in the... um, 
in, in this discourse, we're not going to read this part, but they talk about the fact that they looked like grasshoppers compared to these descendants of Anak. Because these descendants of Anak, um, Goliath was a descendant of Anak. You know, he stood nine foot tall. These guys were literal giants. Um, so they said, there's giants in the land. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Neg. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell in the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let's go up at once and occupy it. If we're, for, uh, for we're able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So here you have one group of men sent out as a unit, right? These guys have the same culture, same beliefs. They've witnessed God perform the same miracles day after day. Yet 12 of the men that were sent out of the 12, only two of them had their focus on the promise, Ten of them had their eyes on the obstacles and were already designed, resigned to defeat. Your focus determines your faith. You see, those guys all saw the same thing, right? They all went into the same place. But one group had a focus on the obstacles and another group had a focus on the promise. Your focus determines your faith. The reason I want to talk about this this morning is because we're standing on the deck of 2019 the USS 2019, and we can see the shores of 2020 right before us. It's coming. And I think that God has big things for you in the next year. In fact, there's a promised land of opportunities that he has waiting for you on the other side of 2020. How about if we dreamed a little bit this morning? I mean, what if 2020 could be the year of your healing? I mean emotional healing. Maybe you're in a place where you are an emotional wreck and there's things in your past that have put lies into your soul that you believe that have kept you stunted physically, I mean, not physically, but spiritually all these years. And 2020 is a year that God sets you free and you're healed. How about 2020 being the year for your physical healing? Maybe you say, man, I've been, I've been prayed for a million times for healing. What if 2020, someone prays for you one millionth and one time and all of a sudden, boom, you are delivered instantly, miraculously, in the twinkling of an eye. Todd, what if you got up of that wheelchair in 2020? How big of a party would there be in this place if that happened? I think of my friend Mike Forbes, who uh, has got a, a diagnosis with his lungs, and if God doesn't step in, um, you know, he's going to go see him soon. I, I think of him just rising up and being able to breathe for the first time. 2020 could be the year for him. How about 2020 being a year of healing from depression? There's some of you in this room, you've been in the the muck and the mire and the cloud of depression for a very long time. And hope has been something that you have not seen in a very, very long time. What if 2020 is a year that God walks you out of that depression? What if 2020 could be the year of breakthrough for you? Maybe there's a relationship that you're looking for a breakthrough. Maybe it's your marriage that needs a breakthrough. And what if 2020 is the year when you can stand at the end of it and say, I had the best marriage year of my entire married life. We've been married 30 years, and this was the best one. What if 2020 is a year of breakthrough at work for you? Maybe you need a promotion. Maybe you're in a place where you have your eye on a career that you've always wanted to try, but you've never had the courage to do. Maybe 2020 is a year that God gives you that courage and the opportunity that you need to step out into the career that you love and do something that you like instead of going to a job that you can barely stand day after day after day. What if 2020 could be the year of financial breakthrough for you? There's a lot of people in this place that are probably living paycheck to paycheck and you're feeling like you're drowning or maybe you're not even living a paycheck. Maybe you're so far into debt that you're considering bankruptcy and you need a financial miracle 
maybe financial peace could be a part of that. But you need a financial miracle. You need something to happen. You need God to come through, something to show up. Maybe 2020 is a year that you're like, that was the turning point in our finances, and we've been prospering ever since. What if 2020 could be the year you find freedom from some things like anxiety? I know there's some of you that struggle with anxiety so bad in this place that, it, that it's the forefront of every decision that you make in your life, who you're going to hang out with, where you're going to go, if you're going to go, what you're going to do. Your parenting, everything, your career, it, anxiety is something that just hangs over you like a cloud and you can't get rid of it. What if 2020 is a year you find freedom from anxiety or guilt or people pleasing or shame or anger? What if 2020 is a year? Why not? Why wouldn't 2020 be the year? Why wouldn't God answer you? Why not? You know what I'm saying? Can we have a little hope this morning? Do we serve the God of the angel armies this morning? Can we have some hope that God can come through? I think so too. I think there's a promised land of opportunities waiting for us in 2020. God's waiting for there, waiting for us on that shore. And he wants nothing more than to see us run into the dreams that we have in 2020. But you're saying, wait a minute, Pastor Jared. I can see giants on the shore. The same old giants of guilt, shame, fear, prowling the shores of our promises. And I'll tell you what, you're right. You're right. When Joshua and Caleb gave their intel to the community of Israel, they didn't say, don't worry, there's no giants, there's no fortresses, there's no fortified cities. They didn't deny the reality of the situation. They relied on the promise of God. And so here's what I'm saying to you this morning. I'm not, I'm not feeding you a line of everything's going to be better in 2020. Your circumstances may not change. In fact, they probably won't because, let's be real, I mean, this is like, we're talking Thursday, right? That's 2020. Your, your circumstances may not change, but I'm not talking about your circumstances today. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about you changing your perspective, and you're going to see how changing your focus and your perspective changes everything because when you're focused on God, man, the world is yours. The world is yours. Let's talk about it this morning. I want to look, take a look at how we fix our focus because it's going to change the reality that we live in. Um, first of all, I want, to, I want to show you how this works. First of all, we're going to talk about changing our focus and how it helps to bring the right things out. So when you're a photographer, if you want to bring out certain things in your photo, that's what you focus in, right? It brings out the things that you want it to bring out. And so like that, we have the ability to bring things out in our life if our focus is right. Now, I want to talk to you about a story we find in Numbers chapter 6. There's a man, a prophet by the name of Elisha. And Elisha had been giving intel uh, to the king of Israel where he lived, okay? And he told the king of Israel, every time that the king of Aram, who was the bad guy, every time that he would make a movement with his army, or he would, he would strategize to go somewhere, the king of, uh, Elisha would come to the king of Israel, the general, and he would say, this is where the king of Aram's gonna be. Meet him here. And so every time the king of Aram tried to do something, boom, there was, a, there was the army of Israel to stop him. And so the king of Aram got so upset that he said, I'm gonna send my entire army after this guy. I'm done with this because he figured out what was going on. And so he sent his entire army after Elisha. And so Elisha, he's held up in this city in a house with his servant. And uh, so uh, the, the king of Aram, he sends his army. The army amasses overnight into the hilltops and uh, the servant walks out in the morning. You know, I, like, I imagine him getting the, the morning paper or tablet or whatever they had back then. And uh, he walks out there, and they just, you know, I imagine him if it's a movie. The paper, we see him from behind, and the paper just falls down. And we see him from the front, and he just, 
Because what he saw before him was hundreds of horses and chariots lining the hilltops, coming for them. And he knew who they were coming for. And that may not sound too intimidating to us, but let me put it in a modern context for you. What if we stepped out of, what if you stepped out of your house in your neighborhood and there was a hundred Apache helicopters just hovering with missiles locked on you when you stepped out in the morning, okay? Is that intimidating? I think that's how, I think that's how Pastor Donnie felt last year when he didn't take his lights down at Christmas time fast enough and he was the last guy in the neighborhood. And is that, I don't know where Pastor Donnie is. Is that true, Pastor Donnie? No, no okay. He says he got him down, all right. But here's Elisha's servant, and he sees this. And so what does he do? He goes into the house. He's freaking out, right? I'd be freaking out too. He goes to Elisha, and he says, Master, there is an army that's come to get us and coming to destroy us. What are we going to do? And Elisha's just nonchalant. Okay, the Bible doesn't say this, but I imagine he's nonchalant. Because here's what he does. He prays. And we pick it up in Numbers chapter 6, verse 17. Elisha prayed this. Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and the servant looked out and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. You see, did the circumstance change? No. Circumstance stayed the same. The focus changed. The servant was focusing on the obstacles before him, but Elisha, Elisha had a different view. Elisha Asked God to open his eyes so he could see what was going on. There was, a, there was a whole army of flaming chariots in the spiritual realm that this guy couldn't see. That Elisha says, open his eyes, God, so then he sees. And then we know why Elisha was all relaxed, right? He had his focus in the right place. So if I were going to paraphrase that verse, I would say, Elisha prayed, Lord, change his focus. If we have our focus in the right place, it really doesn't matter what kind of obstacle comes against us. We can say, do your worst, the God of angel armies is walking with us. And so when you're facing obstacles in 2020, if your focus is in the right place, man, you walk through that with peace. You walk through it with calm. You walk through it with no reserve because you know that God is good and God is going to come through. And no matter what happens, you're going to win. Changing our focus not only brings out, uh, not only brings out the things we want to bring out, but it prioritizes what's important. So a photographer, when they focus in on something, and you look at a photo where there's something, a subject that's in focus in the foreground, your eye immediately prioritizes that thing first. And then kind of once you've taken that in, naturally your eye goes to the background and to whatever's, you know, in behind it. So a photographer is able to use focus to prioritize, and we are able to use focus, spiritual focus, to prioritize what's important in our life. Because some of us in this room, as I talk about obstacles, you're in a place where the obstacles don't really bother you. You know, maybe God has came through for you so many times that you're like, I, you know, I don't get worked up, I don't get worried, I don't get crazy about this because I've been through this before and God's gonna provide. Maybe that's not you, but maybe you're the person who's allowing other things to distract your focus. Because what if I was trying to take a picture of Matt and uh, as I took the picture, I was focusing in, and all I focused in on was the wall back there. The first thing you look at was the wall, and you weren't really able, able to see Matt's face. So maybe it's a distraction of your focus. Let me take you to a verse found in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. It says this, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Here's another great verse on focus. Okay, Paul was talking about having a race, which is the calling God put on our life, and running that race with focus. And he talked about two things in this verse that distract us or, or uh, get us off course from that race. And the first one 
that we see is the things that hinder us. The second one that we see is the sin that entangles us. And I want to talk about the first one, the things that hinder us. What are the things that hinder us? Well, he doesn't say specifically in this verse, but he does say what they're not. And the things that hinder us are not sin. They're not sin. It's not sin that hinders us. He says sin entangles us, but sin, the, the sin does, there's things that hinder us that are not sin. That means that there's good things in our life that can entangle us, but they're not necessarily sin, but they get our focus off. So if we put our focus on those things, on the things that are good, um, they can be just as dangerous as either the sin that entangles us or having our focus in the wrong place. So let's take a look at what are the things that hinder us. I think Jesus actually answers that question in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 32. Jesus is teaching. It's a, it's a very famous teaching called Sermon on the Mount, and he's talking about the things that hinder us. So let's go ahead and read it this morning. I'll read it for you. This is Jesus talking. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, about your body, what you'll wear. Is life not more important than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? Can anyone by worrying add a single hour to their life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the fields grow? They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. Solomon was a very famous king, the most rich king in the history of Israel. So he was probably, you know, clothed with the very best. That's why he made that reference. Verse 30. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what are we going to eat? Or what are we going to drink? Or what are we going to wear? Because the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them. So what are the hindrances that Jesus is talking about in these verses? It's the stuff, right? It's material stuff. How many of you know that Americans get caught up in material stuff? Hello, AirPods, you know? We get caught up in stuff all of the time. And so maybe for you, it's not worrying about the obstacles that are coming before you in 2020. Maybe in 2020, your mind and your heart needs to get off of the stuff, off of the material stuff off of the money, off of the things, off of the toys, off of the guns, off of the bows. Gentlemen, am I hitting home at all this morning? <laughs> Ladies, maybe it's the, no, I'm not going to go into that. You know what they are. You know what they are. But we all have things, don't we, that distract our focus. And so I think Satan sometimes, if he can't get you fearful of the obstacles or he can't get you entangled in sin, his next strategy is to get your mind out of something else other than God and get you distracted even if it's a good thing, because all those things that I mentioned are good things, okay? They're not bad things, but when we put our focus on them, then that messes everything up, and we mess out on the promises that God has for our life. There's no quicker way to diminish the dreams that God has for us than to chase after money and stuff. So how do we stay out of this trap? Well, Jesus gives us a strategy also in Matthew chapter 6, the next verse, 633. It says this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you. So what does Jesus say? He says, seek my kingdom first, and then you're not going to have to worry about this stuff because it'll, it'll come on its own. There's something that, uh, in order to focus, there's something that um, photographers do, and you probably notice it, although you don't, may not know the name for it. It's called bokeh. Um, it's, so it's like, if you look at this screen up here, the words are in focus, but the background is blurry, right? That blurry background is called bokeh, our, our depth of field. And so what, what, uh, what I'd like you to do to demonstrate this for you, to keep things into focus, to make sure that we prioritize the right things, put your, put your, your hand near your face about, about where your nose ends, 
okay? And try to focus on it. Congratulations, you're cross-eyed. Um, <laughs> okay, you see how you can focus on it and then everything else is blurred out? Now move it out like this. See how everything comes into focus when you do that? Sometimes we need to zoom out to keep things into focus. Because sometimes in photography, the closer your subject is to the lens, the closer you are, if you're right up in their face, it automatically, because of the way the camera works, because guess what the camera's based off of? Our human eyes. That's how they design cameras to work. Um, so because of that, um, the, the closer you are to your subject, the more out of focus your background is going to be. And so if you want to have your background in focus and your subject in focus at the same time, then you have to zoom it back out. That's one of the strategies that you use. Or you can use a different lens. But for this demonstration, you zoom out, and that will automatically bring everything that you want into focus. Sometimes in our life, we need to zoom out once in a while. It helps us to be in that place where we keep our focus. Let me talk to you about what I, or let me, let me give you a verse in Colossians 3.2. It says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Because sometimes we get so caught up in the day-to-day routines. We get so caught up in the things, um, you know, obstacles or maybe things that will come our way. And we get so tunnel vision and we can't see past it. You know, it's like, it's like we zoom in on that problem or we zoom in on that, that scenario or we zoom in on that situation so far that that's all we can see and we can't see anything else. And Colossians chapter 3, verse 2 says, set your mind on things above and it's like an automatic zooming out when we do that. Why? Because it allows us to see the full perspective of eternal life because it doesn't matter how bad things are in this life, we're gonna win. Am I right? God's going to restore all things. We know this. The Bible tells us over and over and over again that God is going to restore all things and that there's a paradise that awaits. So it doesn't matter how bad things get. It really doesn't. If you zoom out, you know, maybe there's a cancer diagnosis and that's all you can think about. And and believe me, I understand how that can just focus everything in on that. But take a second and zoom out. I win. God's going to restore. God is going to heal me, whether it's on this earth or the world to come. We need to zoom out once in a while. It helps our focus. It helps us to be in that place where things of this world don't overwhelm us. So we've got to allow ourselves to zoom out once in a while and get an eternal focus. So the last question I have for us today, and I'm going to give you some real practical things here. How do we keep the right focus? Because I talked about why we need to change our focus, but I want to tell you how to change that focus. The first thing I'm going to ask you to do is implement focus peaking. Focus peaking. I'm sure everybody knows what that is, right? Um, focus peaking. So uh, the cameras that we actually use to film, hi, by the way, for those of you that are online this morning, good to see you. Um, for the cameras that we use for uh, our online services, especially those two right there, actually that one too, they have this thing called focus peaking. And what it is, is it allows us to look at the LCD screen and um, I believe that cam- those cameras right there, it's in orange. So if I want something to be in focus, these little orange dots kind of appear around whatever I have in focus. And it helps me as a tool because sometimes, even with that little LCD screen, I can't really see very well what's in focus because it's so small. And so I need focus peaking. It helps me know what's in focus at that time. Now, for us to use focus peaking spiritually means that we need to look at our actions and what our actions in our lives are producing. What we're, what we're focusing on. So basically, this will tell you, is your focus right or is it not? Here's how we tell, okay? Galatians 5, through 23. This is a list called the fruit of the Spirit. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, 
gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. So, why why am I giving you this? If you look at your life, and your life isn't producing peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, if your life isn't producing those things, your focus is off. Your focus is off. It's a focus-peaking technique. It's telling you, hey, wait a minute, these things aren't coming out of your life, so you're not controlled by the Holy Spirit. Your focus is off. On the flip side of that, there's, there's also another list uh, that will tell you if your focus is off, and it's called the works of the flesh. It's found in Galatians 5, 19 through 21, which is actually just previous to the verses that we just read. And, it, and Paul does this purposefully to, com- to make a comparison between when you're controlled by the flesh or when you're controlled by the Spirit. Um, so when you're controlled by the flesh, let's read that. It's in uh, Galatians 5, 19 through 20. I'm reading this out of the message. I thought it was a really good um, I had a good way of putting it. It's obvious what kind of life develops out of trying your own, own, own way, get your own way all the time, or the works of the flesh. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, which you love the message, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or be loved, divided homes, divided lives, small-minded, lopsided pursuits, and the vicious habits of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled or uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community, and he says, I could go on. Like, Paul, isn't that enough, (laughs) right? If those things are the things that you see coming out of your life, your focus is wrong. If you see the fruit of the Holy Spirit coming out of your life, that's your focus peaking. That means your focus is in the right direction. So number one, implement focus peaking into your life. Check those lists once in a while against what's coming out of your life. Number two, take a daily, if not regular, timeouts to pray and seek God and read the word. Now, I think sometimes we, Pastor Barry and and myself and whoever's preaching up here, sometimes maybe we sound like a broken record when we're saying pray, read the word, you know, but guys, there's no substitute for it. When Jesus needed to focus, that's what he did. He didn't read the word because at that time he didn't have the word, but he did know the Old Testament scriptures and maybe he traveled with some, I don't know, but we know that he went away by himself to connect with God and to pray. Usually he would do it early in the morning. Sometimes he would do it after they had a big day of ministry. He would go back and he would focus in with God. And that was his way of adjusting your focus. When you're out in the world day in and day out and you're hearing the things and the philosophies of this world, it wears on you. And sometimes you almost start to believe some of those things that come into your ears. Unless you take time to detox. Think of this as a spiritual detox once a day or at least on a regular basis that you're detoxing from the world. You're getting away You're going into a place where you can focus, where you can pray, where you can listen to what the Holy Spirit has to say to you, and where you can read the word. It's detox for your soul, okay? It gives you an opportunity to refocus, and you need to have that in your lives. The third thing that I'm going to give you as a tool today is to simply invite Jesus to be a part of your everyday. Look for him to move in your life and the lives of the people around you. Now, that sounds, that doesn't sound like a real practical idea, but trust me, it is. If you, because here's what, let me tell you what happens. What happens is this. Sometimes we have our prayer time, and then we go out of our prayer time, you know, if, if we're doing well, it's like we have our prayer time, and then we go out of our prayer time, and we totally forget about God, and we leave him there in our prayer time box. And we just go about our day, and we don't really think about him. If you can invite, consciously invite the Holy Spirit, Jesus, to be a part of your day-to-day routine, it will change the way that you live. Because then all of a sudden, when you're driving in your car, and I know this sounds weird, but you're driving in your car, and you can picture Jesus sitting beside you, it makes you look at life in a whole different way. 
when you're watching for him to move in the lives of the individuals around you, all of a sudden things that were an inconvenience before become an opportunity to do something for his kingdom. All of a sudden that annoying coworker that wants to continue to talk to you about sports doesn't become an annoyance, they become an opportunity for ministry because you're like, oh my goodness, God's working on him. God is drawing him to me so I need to do something with this opportunity that he's given me. Take Jesus with you. Consciously have the Holy Spirit. And I don't know what that looks like for you. If you need to come up with some kind of device that helps you remember that he's with you. You know, back in the day, it was the WWJD bracelets, if you remember those from way back. Um, you know, it, they were kind of a fad thing. But, but the idea was sound. It was giving you a reminder. Oh, every time you see your wrist. Oh, okay. You know, Jesus, what, what would he do? Or, you know, you could have a reminder, Jesus is with me. What, whatever that looks like. I don't know what your device is that you want to use to help, help remember that, hey, God's with me. I need to take him with me wherever I go. But believe me, it'll help change you and it'll change your focus in life. As I'm wrapping up here today, <clears throat> you know, we have these really cool cameras that we use at the church, and I talked about them a little bit. They have all the features like 4K and um, you know, there's the latest and greatest, and we did a lot of research before we bought them, and we got really nice ones because we wanted them to stand the test of time. But we went and we got a lens for our cameras, actually the lenses that we use to film our live stream, and uh, there were lenses, our cameras are Panasonic, the lenses were Canon, and we have an adapter even in the middle, so it's even more complicated. But once we put those Canon, or I'm sorry, those are actually Sigma lenses, once we put our Sigma lens on our Panasonic camera, we lost the ability to have autofocus on our cameras, which is a really handy tool to have, as you know, because otherwise you have to manually focus everything that you do with your hand. And when you're trying to take a shot of like an action shot, like I know there's one time I was at the park trying to take a shot of the youth as they were doing like, they were doing these big, um, they had a color war, so they had these big powdered color things and they were throwing them at each other. And I was trying to take action shots and without that focus, the autofocus, you miss it entirely. I mean, by the time you have it focused in, you know, someone's down the field. And so one of the guys on our, on our team was like, hey, guess what? I think I have the answer. I found a patch. And so we were able to actually download a firmware update or a patch for our cameras and patch it in so that now, even though we have um, a Viltrox adapter and a Sigma lens on a Panasonic camera, we actually have autofocus because we're able to install that patch so that every time we need to focus on something, we just put the button halfway down and it, focuses, it puts the green box on what we focus on and boom, we can snap pictures, snap pictures, snap pictures. That's what this service is meant to do for you today. I want to install autofocus into your lives. So that every time you're in a situation, you're looking and you're seeing Jesus. Every time that you leave your home, you're taking him with you. Every time that you're in a situation that you think is too big for you, you can zoom out because you have autofocus. Every time that you're in a situation maybe that you're starting to get distracted, you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, my, auto, my, my focus is off, my autofocus needs to be here. There's something to be said about someone who can just walk into a situation and they can see Jesus first thing. Guess what Jesus said? He said, I am at work until this very day and my father to, or I'm sorry, my father is at work until this very day and I too am working. God is working in every single situation in your life, whether you think he is or whether, you're, whether he's not. You just need to change your perspective until you find out where he's working. And I want to get you to the place where you have autofocus in your life to where you can say, yep, that's Jesus, that's Jesus, that's God, that's God, that's God. That's the Holy Spirit moving, that's the Holy Spirit moving to where you walk into any situation and that's the first thing that you see. If you can switch and change your focus, your 2020 will be amazing probably the best year of your life if you can grasp these principles and put them into practice in your life. 
Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First Assembly of God podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest message.